Uh, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look in Acts chapter 18 and in the beginning of Acts chapter 19. That's what it should say there. Uh, Acts chapter 18 and Acts chapter 19. And this comes from our reading for the week. Uh, as we're getting ready for this week, this is a section of that text as we are reading every week. Uh, you can get the schedule of that there if you don't have it. And I'm trying to remember what the exact reading is this week. Is it 16 to 21, I believe? 16 21. And so on Wednesday night, we'll be going from Acts 16 and 21 and discussing that text together. I encourage you to be a part of that. If you can't be here, you read the text, you study with somebody else at home uh, or wherever you have to be uh, on Wednesday evening. Uh, but again, what we're going to be looking at this morning, I think, is very, very important. Before we do that, let's ask God uh, his blessings upon us in our study right now. Please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we can be together and we can open up the Bible and, and study about the spread of the gospel in the very beginning and the foundation of the church, what we need to be preaching and teaching to others. We thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy that is given to us through Jesus Christ. We thank you that he took the sacrifice of death that was due to us all upon himself and that he conquered death and rose again. We thank you so much for that. We thank you for the forgiveness that is given through Jesus and by his blood. Father, again, help us now. We ask that you bless us with wisdom and studying your word, that we write up, rightly apply it and use it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have been looking through the book of Acts. And one thing that continues to stand out as far as evangelism and teaching the gospel is a lot of times those who are taught already believe in a lot of the things that you would expect. Like today, we might be going around looking for someone who is an unbeliever to teach the gospel to. But what we see in the book of Acts, even from Acts chapter 2, that those already believed in God and were looking for the Messiah and believed in the Old Testament scriptures were being taught. We looked at the Ethiopian eunuch a few weeks ago, how he believed in God and was reading from the scroll of Isaiah when Philip went and joined him and taught him the gospel and preached to him Jesus. And I'll make some reference to that this morning. As we go throughout the rest of Acts, we continue to see this. And we have an interesting account this morning of two different events. And I guess you could say they're both conversion in, in, in one sense. One is a man named Apollos. And he's the one where we're looking at here, and we've looked at examples like this before. Remember Cornelius? Cornelius was a man who God heard his own prayers. He gave alms. He worshiped God. You would think, well, this man doesn't need to hear anymore but he wasn't saved yet. You would expect a man like that would, in today's modern thinking, that a good man like that would already be saved. But he wasn't saved until he heard the gospel. And as we go along throughout the book of Acts, we get more and more particular into the details of what we need to believe and to believe accurately, and what we need to be teaching and preaching. So we're going to look at that a little bit further. But why, and I put this in quotations, why are other people so unteachable? And I mean that in a reflection on ourselves is because a lot of times in our life we look at times in which we are unteachable. It might be a specific subject. If I have the certifications and experience in a certain field of study or whatever my occupation may be and somebody else comes along who I don't think has that knowledge and they want to tell me how to do something, a lot of us are going to say, no, I don't need to hear that. I've got more experience and time. You don't know what you're talking about. Uh, but sometimes we're often corrected, and we actually find out that those who we might consider not as knowledgeable on that may have some insights for us to take in. So we need to be willing, as Christians, 
to listen to the other Christians around us and what they're studying and what they're reading and be willing to humble ourselves and what others may share with us. And I hope that we do that. And I think a great example of that is Apollos. I want you to look here in the account right here. We're going to look at five verses from Acts chapter 8. The last, sorry, Acts chapter 18. Forgive my, forgive my miscitations this morning, but that's Acts chapter 18. And I got five verses there at the end of chapter 18. Let's read it now. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria. Now, Alexandria being the capital of Egypt, known for its library and the education that takes part there. He came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man. He was a good speaker. He was competent in the scriptures. He knew the Bible. So here we have a man who's eloquent in speech, speech. He knows the Bible. He knows the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. He knew Jesus. He knew the instructions from Jesus. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. What else needs to be taught to this man? He speaks well. He teaches accurately. He knows Jesus, and he does it with passion, with a fervent spirit, it says. And then it says this, though he knew only the baptism of John. You can look across many cities and most of the United States today, there are a lot of men who fit this, this description. They stand up in pulpits. They preach. They know their Bibles pretty well. Many of them are very fervent in spirit. Uh, they can accurately teach things about Jesus. But they're missing something. And this may apply to some of us in here, our understanding in regards to baptism. It says he only knew the baptism of John. That's not the baptism that Jesus commanded when Jesus rose from the dead. He commanded that one baptism when he rose from the dead there in Mark 16 and 16 and Matthew 28 and verse 19. And that's what Peter preached in Acts 2 and verse 38, the baptism that is in Jesus' name, that water baptism. And so he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. I remember a brother over in Jacksonville, every time he would pray, he says, God, help us to understand God's word more accurately. And he always said that. And I always thought about that. Why does he say that every single time? And when I read the story, I know exactly where he got it from. We do need to study so that we will understand the Scriptures in God's way more accurately. Here, Priscilla and Quilla take him aside. There's some things to note about what happens there I'll bring up in a moment. Look at verse 27 and 28. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, Achaia is Greece. Southern Greece is south of Macedonia. If you've got your map in the back, you can pull it up. It's kind of a V-shape right next to the Aegean Sea. So he wants to cross over from Ephesus across the Aegean Sea over to Achaia, to Greece. This is where Corinth is and Crea, Athens, that area. So the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. They're riding on his behalf in Ephesus, the large congregation there, and they're riding over to Corinth or to Achaia, to the Christians there, receive Apollos and listen to his preaching. And when he arrived, it says, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the Scriptures that, that the Christ was Jesus. Now, I want to take some observations from this. We're reading this. Why is this in the book of Acts? Why do we need to understand it? I think a part of this is going to tie into Acts chapter 19. One thing I infer from this is that Apollos, learning of the baptism that Jesus commanded, 
would be baptized in that baptism. And I would believe that because of what I read in the next few verses in chapter 19. But before we get there, let's look at this. We have an eloquent preacher who teaches Jesus accurately. He may not teach other doctrines accurately, specifically in regards to baptism. He needs to be instructed further. He needs to be corrected. We see this about Apollos. He's a humble man. Even though he's an eloquent speaker, he knows these things about Jesus. He's still willing to receive correction. And that applies to us, no matter where our knowledge is in the Bible, that we're willing to listen to others. Even though they might not be as eloquent and well taught as we are. So the good preacher here we see, and anybody who's proclaiming the gospel will humble themselves in instruction and correction, especially about baptism. So when today you come across, and a lot of these preachers, and you tell them, listen, this is what the Bible says about baptism. It's for the forgiveness of sins. It's for salvation. It's immersion. It's to partake of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And a lot of them will say, well, I don't believe that. What's wrong there? They're not acting like Apollos, are they? They're not receiving Scripture. And they're not saying, let me study that a little bit further. They're just rejecting it. And so we want to be open to the Bible, to the Scriptures at all times. And Apollos is a great example of this. If you see here, it names Priscilla first, and then Aquila. Priscilla would be Aquila's wife. She takes the lead here in initiating and pulling Apollos aside and correcting him. Now Aquila is definitely with her. And here she takes the role of teaching and correcting. And I think this is a good thing to look at. I've known a lot of women in, in churches who were the ones who knew their Bible sometimes most, many times than, than the preacher there, or, and sometimes as well as the elders. And she would take, I've known these women to take roles to where, listen, this is what the Bible says. Read again what the Scripture says. And I think this is a great thing. And I don't think this has anything to usurp on what the Bible says as far as the role of men and women. All right, number four, the good preacher will go on preaching the truth. We see that with Apollos. He doesn't stop. He doesn't shut everything down. He doesn't say, well, I was wrong about this, so I should just quit preaching, go back to school, or just leave the ministry. He goes on preaching more. He takes the instruction with him and carries it forward. And so there's many things we can gain by Apollos' example that we read about there in the Bible. So why teach baptism in Jesus' name to Apollos? He didn't know it. And today, when we look around and if somebody doesn't know something very clearly in Scripture, we need to be able to open our Bibles and say, listen, this is what the Scriptures say. We ourselves need to be open to hearing instruction. It goes both ways. And I hope that as we think about that, that we will remain open, keep our eyes open. If I say something that's inaccurate, if I'll call Peter Paul or Paul Peter throughout the whole sermon, come and let me know. Please let me know. I'm asking you to do that. Because I don't want to finish the lesson and then go publish it online and I've got a whole lesson of calling Peter Paul or something like that, which I've been known to do, not the whole time, but I, I'll mix their names up. I realize that because preachers and teachers, they can make mistakes. In fact, James chapter 3 says, any man who speaks is going to make a mistake. He is going to stumble at some point in his speaking. And I hope that we don't hold that against them. I think that's what James is saying. You need to be aware of this. And he says also in James chapter 3, not many of you should be teachers. You need to be very careful in the words that you use and what you say. Now, another thing that comes up that a lot of people struggle with is this passage here in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 7. So oftentimes when I talk to somebody else about baptism and they say, no, baptism has nothing to do with forgiveness of sins, nothing to do with salvation, and they'll go to 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 17, 
There are other passages as well. And they read this. Paul talked about, and he gives an account throughout the 1 Corinthians, and he talks about baptizing. And this church is being divided, as we've been studying on Sunday nights. It's divided, and some are saying, I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Cephas. And Paul says, is Christ divided? Certainly not. And then he thanks God that he's, he's baptized a few of them. And he starts naming some of them that he has baptized. And then he says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach. But as we've seen with, in Acts chapter 8 with the Ethiopian eunuch, Preaching Jesus included baptism. Preaching the gospel includes teaching baptism. And when Jesus went around preaching, we read about in John chapter 4, his disciples did a lot of the baptizing. And so Paul here is saying, I'm taking on that role. Some other faithful man can do the baptizing, but my job is to preach the gospel. He is in no way dismissing baptism here. We continue to read, and this is my point earlier, from Acts chapter 8 and verse 35. When we looked at the Ethiopian eunuch, this is what we read. Acts chapter 8, 35 and 36. Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, that's Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8, he told him the good news about Jesus. So Philip begins preaching about Jesus, and as they're going along the road on the chariot, the Ethiopian eunuch sees a body of water, and he says what? As they're going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Evidently, he concluded that baptism included water, and whatever Philip was preaching, when he was preaching Jesus, it included baptism. We see that throughout the book of Acts. and all the conversions, we see the necessity of baptism. So again, was Paul, Apollos baptized here? I think that's a necessary implication. I'm going to show you why in a moment. After Priscilla and Aquila had taught him, he, he now understands it in a more accurate way. Look with me further. If you have your Bible, I'm not going to put this scripture on the screen. Acts chapter 19. We do need to open these pages up for ourselves. Go to Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 7. And read with me. Acts 19, 1 through 7. Right, and so Luke reports this, starting in verse 1. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, so Apollos had crossed over to Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And, he said, and they said to him, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. So very similar to Apollos. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. And we can imply here he's preaching further details about Jesus. In verse 5, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, implying that again, here we have Paul preaching. He's preaching Jesus. And the conclusion is, I need to be baptized. Not in John's baptism of repentance, but in baptism that is in Jesus' name. That's for the forgiveness of sins. Acts 2 and verse 38. Look at verse 6 and 7. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began speaking in languages, that's in tongues, and prophesying. They were about 12 men in all. I think the implication is clear that Apollos would also have been baptized in hearing this, that John's baptism was not sufficient, that Jesus commanded another baptism. 
And that brings up some other points we'll apply in a moment. So here again, Paul asked others if they had received the Holy Spirit. And so we can do the same today. We can ask others, did you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? Were you baptized in Jesus' name? We can ask people about their baptism and learn more about what they believe. Paul taught that John the Baptist preached Jesus. And therefore, they should listen to him. He was preparing the way for Christ. He used, he, made an, he saw the agreement that Paul had with these disciples, and he used that to be able to teach the gospel. We see that throughout the Bible. By hearing this teaching about Jesus, 12 men were baptized in the name of Jesus. Now, they were already baptized by John's baptism, but here they are baptized again in Jesus' baptism, in his name, the one he commanded in Matthew chapter 28. And then Paul, an apostle, laid hands on them for them to have the Holy Spirit come upon them. And so, again, this demonstrates that Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ and able to pass on these gifts that we've read about in Acts chapter 8 that only the apostles could pass on. All right, and so the big question that comes out of this, and a lot of times the discussion is, should I be baptized again? And a lot of people look back and say, well, I was baptized when I was 9 or 10, or I was baptized in another church. And what I encourage those when I, when I baptize somebody is to write down why you're being baptized. Have something a record where you know why you were baptized. I was baptized for the forgiveness of my sins. It was in Jesus' name. It was to be added to the church. Write down the details of it. It was to unite in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And if you're looking over those details, you might come to to a point and say, well, there are some things I didn't know about. For instance, I was baptized in Jesus' name for the forgiveness of sins, but it wasn't until later that I connected it with me dying and being buried with Christ to start a new life. And I can't say throughout the book of Acts that everybody understood that at that time. But what they did know is that they needed to be baptized to be saved, and they were baptized in water in Jesus' name. They had faith that Jesus was the Messiah. That's what we see throughout the book of Acts. That is what is necessary, that you believe, you confess your faith, that you repent. That's why we tell it as the plan of salvation. We're telling people what is necessary to be done before you're baptized, what's taught throughout the Scriptures. I encourage you this morning, if you have doubts about that, you do need to study it further. Discuss it with an elder or a brother in Christ, and I'll be happy to talk with you if you have any doubts upon your baptism. The baptism taught throughout the Bible is baptism in Jesus' name. Without shame, I encourage you, brethren, as we've, what we studied this morning, that you teach the truth. If someone is, is reading their Bible and they believe in God and they're telling other people to follow Jesus, but they're wrong on baptism, should I correct them? Yes, lovingly and kindly. We would follow the example of Priscilla and Aquila. That's a good thing, a wonderful thing to do. Why? Well, this is why, because baptism is important. It's the point at which we're made disciples, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. We're made Christians at that point. Believers are saved by baptism. Jesus says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Peter said, baptism corresponding to this now saves you. It is the moment of salvation. We see this in the scriptures, that the repentant are forgiven at baptism. Acts 2.38 says, repent and be baptized. Why? For the forgiveness of your sins. Acts 22.16, as noted above, says that, Paul arose and was baptized and washed away all of his sins. We see this throughout the teachings of Paul and Peter that the believers unite in Christ's redemptive work. He died, he was buried, and he rose again. 
And baptism is where we unite with Christ in his death. Go read Romans chapter 6. See that for yourself. I encourage you this morning, there's one baptism, the Bible says. There are some people today in some churches that I say, well, once you've been baptized uh, in spirit baptism, then you need to be baptized in water baptism, and then you need later to receive a Holy Spirit baptism. That's not what the Bible teaches. And Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 5 says there's one baptism. And it's at that one baptism in Acts 2.38 that you receive the blessings of the Holy Spirit, where you are baptized in Jesus' name in water, that is the point. It is the same baptism that we read throughout the text. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, in a broad sense, is the pouring out of God's Holy Spirit upon those who are Christians. And I hope that we don't misunderstand that. I encourage you this morning, if you haven't been baptized in Christ, listen to the words of Jesus. Jesus says right there, these are the words of Christ. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. I encourage you this morning, remember to teach the way more accurately. Be humble and teachable like Apollos. And while others may have already received a baptism, every believer needs to be baptized in Jesus' name, the way the Bible teaches. This morning we give the invitation to you. If we can pray with you and encourage you in regards to repentance or baptism or any need that you have, we want to give you the invitation right now to come forward while we stand and while we sing.